made. And I get the privilege and the honor, as you do as well, of rejoicing and being glad in it. For this is the day that the Lord hath made. And he doesn't do anything on accident. He doesn't stumble his way into this day. He designed and made and created this day for a purpose. For such a time as this. And you, each and every one of us, are here today for a reason. Did anybody have anything today that you could be doing besides coming to church? Did anybody have anything this morning that either on the way to church, getting ready for church, that could have given you a really good excuse to not go through all the trouble of getting gussied up, brushing your teeth, thank you by the way, we appreciate that very much, putting your Sunday best on, whatever that looks like, it doesn't matter if that's a hoodie or flip-flops or a suit and tie, but, but coming into the house of God, did anybody have any obstacles on your way to get here to this service today? Then how much more a reason to celebrate with all the obstacles of life and with all the stuff around us to come into the house of the Lord on this day that he's made. Can we rejoice as a church? Can we be glad in this day? Can we with expectation clap our hands and shout unto God? Come on. Put your hands together. Clap your hands and shout unto God with a voice that is triumphant. Would you just go ahead and let the enemy know, not today. You've won some battles, but you're not going to win today. Because this is the day that the Lord hath made for us to be triumphant. Is that all right if we celebrate victory today? I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord. I thank you all that you're here this Sunday morning. I appreciate every one of you for being faithful to the house of God. I know many are sick and many, man, there's so much stuff going on. But thank you for being here today. And if you're thankful that you're healthy in body enough to get here, would you just go ahead and just lift up your your heads a moment and say, thank you, Jesus, for getting me to church, for keeping your hands upon my life and my family, for putting your arms around us. And if you're not feeling well today, God can heal you. And if you've got a broken heart today, God can mend it. And if you came into this place today feeling empty, God can fill you with something that can't be found anywhere else. And if perhaps this is your first time or second time to visit this wonderful church and you're wondering, is this the church for me? Can I just tell you from somebody who gets around a little bit, welcome to the family. Look no further. You're in a great place, in a great church. And if you just happen to look around and you see a bunch of people that look like they got it all figured out, it's just like a bunch of perfect people, can we just laugh at ourselves for a moment? From the guy holding the microphone to everybody in the back, can we just say we're a bunch of imperfect people serving a perfected God who loved us enough to take us out of our failures and our our shortcomings and take us out of our sin and renew us and let us repent of our sins and then rebirth us and wash us in His Spirit and in water so that we don't have to worry about all the junk we came in here with. Thanks be to God that He loves us in spite of us. Amen? Thank you, Lord. This is a great day the Lord hath made. Man, it's such a privilege to be here with you. 
my wife and I and my son and daughter, it's great to have them with me. They don't always get to travel with me, but it's great that we're in the state of Indiana and get to be here at Kendallville. Love your pastor and your pastor's wife, getting to know some of your ministry team, and it's a lovely opportunity for us to get to meet you as well. Thank you for having us here. My friend, my man, I love you, dude. We go way back. So it's great to see you and, and partner with you in ministry. What a treat that is. You're blessed to have him here and uh, soon to be better half. <clears throat> Woo, prophetic word coming forth in the word today. Turn to Psalms chapter 23. I want to preach from a very familiar passage of scripture. Many of you actually may know this by heart. Some of you might have a poster of this in the wall of your home. So I feel like you should be able to help me preach today. No matter how new you are to scripture, you have probably come across this verse at some point. But I want God to show us a a fresh revelation today from Psalms chapter 23 and 1. Before we get into this verse, uh, I want to set a little the table for you, the context, because a lot of times we read these poetic verses in Psalms and, and, and we just kind of stroll through them because they're almost melodic. They almost can be sung. But, but David wasn't picking daisies here. This wasn't a, a great time of joy and frolicking through the fields. I don't frolic very often, so please, you don't want to see that? Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. But he wasn't frolicking. He wasn't having a good day. This was a time, the Bible tells us, of rebellion under a really evil guy named Absalom. And it says that David and his followers were literally retreating. They were running from the confusion and the chaos. And they had to retreat and run through the Kidron Valley and over the Mount of Olives. And then they found themselves in this plain called Judah. A wilderness season was upon them. And that's when God gave him This word that provided him rest in his relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're thankful that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, would you just let the Lord know, thank you for being my friend. Psalms 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He lead me beside the still waters. The Lord is, everybody say, my shepherd. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Can I pause for a moment and just preach to you? It doesn't matter what is blocking the light of life in your life. The Holy Ghost can shine into the darkest of hours. And the light of God shines the brightest during the darkest days of this life, of this world, of this country. I'm thankful that the light of Jesus has met no match. John 1 and 1 says, or John chapter 1 says, when the light shined into darkness, the darkness couldn't even comprehend it. The darkness of this world has nothing for the light of the Holy Spirit that shines in you. Yea, though I walk through the valley, the darkness, the shadow of even death, he says, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. They rod and they staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a, everybody say a table. A big fat spread of blessing is right before me, right in the presence of my enemies. He doesn't even have to remove you from the snare and the temptation and the wiles of the world. 
to begin to bless you with miraculous favor. He can do a miracle right where you are, right in the midst of the dark season. He can come into your life. And I don't know, it just, I, Kaylee, it just really, I love this. Because he's like right up in the face of your enemy. You know, if I were to come up and get in your face, I'm not going to do that because he'd probably deck me. He could take me out. He's a finely tuned athlete. A mechanism for God's glory. <laughs> but I love this. But he says he prepares his table of blessing, of testimony. Testimonies in the making, brother. Right in the presence of my enemies. Almost like he wants to establish himself and let the enemy be reminded who he is and who he is not. Thou anointest my head with oil, and then my cup can run over. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Everybody say forever. Are you looking forward to that day? Oh, what a day that will be. Can you lift your hands, put your Bibles down as we pray over this world? God, help us today. Let a new and fresh anointing flow into this house. I pray, God, we can move forward by your spirit, not by the flesh, not by the ways of the flesh, not by the, the mechanisms of the world, but God, let your spirit allow us to be propelled toward your promise. In the name of Jesus, I pray that your anointing and your Holy Ghost power would flow over each and every one of us, starting with the man holding this microphone. I pray, God, you would saturate us with faith. I pray, God, that you would infect us with great faith to know that your miracle working power is in this house today in the name of Jesus Christ would the church say amen before you're seated I want to speak to you on this topic this morning and I want you to turn to your neighbor and just look him in the eye and let steely eyed get some zeal up in your eyes right now some fire some fire I want you to tell them it's behind you Turn to somebody else, turn around and say, hey, it's behind you. It's behind you. You may be seated. You may be seated. He is the shepherd. Or as described in John chapter 10 verse 11, he is described as the good shepherd, as the gospel in the New Testament stands upon the shoulders of of our text in the Old Testament in Psalms chapter 23. As we see Jesus Christ lay down his life as he sacrificed and paid a price that we could not pay. If you're thankful that he paid the debt of sin that you could not pay, would you just say thank you Jesus? What is very distinct about our text today is that it's intended to be very personal. So much emphasis on the Bible, both in the Old Testament covenant with the Israelite believers and in the New Testament with the church. The covenant is, 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 uh, is described as a corporate bond. As God led the children of Israel 
as he set the foundation stones for the church. And then in the gospel, we see this church begin to form, and it is a a corporate bond. What I'm trying to say is, we are his bride that he is coming back to receive. Anybody believe that Jesus, the groom, is coming back for the church, which is described in the text as the bride? It's It's a covenant that is collective, It is a covenant that we can only satisfy or be a part of if we are together. We are better together, amen? If you want to go to heaven, you got to be a part of the church. That's not my opinion. That's the word of God. Because he's not coming back for just every individual believer. He's coming back for a body of believers that the Bible tells us is, everybody say the church. But even though when we talk about the, the corporate covenant where he is returning for a bride, being a collective uh, 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 mechanism, when we look into the New Testament, something begins to change because God begins to uh, intentionally emphasize his desire to have a personal relationship with each and every one of us. David, going back to our text, sets the foundation stones for relationship when he said, The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. He restores, everybody say, my soul. And can you testify today that when you're walking through the valley of the shadow, it's very personal. I hate it when people say, oh, I know how you feel. You don't know how I feel. Nobody knows how I feel. Except Jesus. The one who feels everything I've ever felt. He has felt every tear that's ever come down your cheek. He has felt every pain that's went through your body. He has felt every ache in your heart and every bit of turmoil in your life. But nobody else knows me like Jesus knows me. So I'm not going to tell you I know how you feel. Because I don't know how you feel. It's very personal though. The feelings are very personal when you're walking through a season of life. And even though God says his covenant as a, as a, a court, corporate commitment, his covenant to the church is collective. His covenant as a savior is with each and every individual believer. He's not coming back to save the church. He's coming back for a a body of believers that is made up of saved individuals. Individuals saved souls. Because I don't have to be saved from your sin. I've got to be saved from my sin. I don't have to be saved from your mistakes. I've got plenty of mistakes of my own. Can I get a friend up in the house today that would say, you don't want to have to deal with any of my mistakes because you've got your own mess that you've got to bring to before God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm so thankful today that he doesn't judge me by anybody else's right or wrong. He doesn't judge me by by anybody else's potential. He doesn't judge me for anybody else's debt, weight, mistakes, failures, flaggings, fallings. But he looks at me and says, no matter what sin does abound in your life, my grace does much more abound in your life. Because no matter what you bring to the feet of Jesus, he has already paid the debt for that mistake. He has already dealt with your mess. He has already has all power to heal whatever is broken in your life. I'm thankful that he is a personal savior. 
Now, this is where I make a lot of pastors nervous sometimes because I say this sometimes when I'm teaching and preaching. I don't mind the sinner's prayer. Nervous? The sinner's prayer. You've probably heard it in a lot of churches. If you turn on the television, you'll probably hear it today at the end of some TV preacher's message. It basically says, I, I confess that the Lord Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. That's great. But it's the starting place. Not the end destination. Once I claim and recognize that Jesus Christ is my Savior, then, Pastor, I have to let Him save me. And He developed this plan called the plan of salvation revealed through the gospel of Jesus Christ where He died, He was buried, and then He rose again on the third day, and then it becomes accessible to me that not only do I believe He is my Savior, but then I can come down and be dead to my sin in the repentance and say, I turn away from that life. I turn away from my mistakes, and I turn toward Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. And then I can be buried in baptism in the name above every other name. That is the name of Jesus that every tongue will confess and every knee would bow. Not believers. Not Christians. Muslims. Good old Catholics. Agnostics. Atheists. Hindus. Every knee, the Bible says prophetically, will bow. And every tongue will one day confess that Jesus Christ alone is Lord and Savior. He's the only Lord of Lords. He's the only King of all kings. And he's the only one that can save our soul. And I'm so thankful today to have the opportunity to preach to you that he loves you the way you are. Just the way you walked in here today. But he also loves us too much to leave us that way. So he has prepared for you a way to salvation that once you recognize that he is in fact Lord, he is then going to prove to you he can be Lord. Lord of your life. Would you lift your hands all across this place and thank the Lord that he loves you and that he is your savior and that he has he has the powerful anointed holy spirit that will come into your life and give you new life. Thank you Jesus. You got to truly believe that Jesus is Everybody say, my Savior. Because it's by your faith that you are saved. You can't be saved by my faith. I can't be saved by your faith. It doesn't matter how much pastor believes. It doesn't do me any good if I don't believe. It doesn't matter how much I believe today. If you don't believe, God wants to save you. But you have to let him save you. You have to let him heal you. You have to let him guide you to the place of promise in your life. Somebody say amen. amen. This is personal. It's the deepest, dark, dark parts of our past. It's the hidden corners of our history that we're not proud of. That we don't want anybody to shine a light on. How much better would life be without the weights and the sin that so easily besets us? Anybody got any weight today? Anybody ever sin? Anybody sin today? 
oh man, you can't lie in church. If you're not going to lie, I mean, I, I just recommend if there's one time that you don't lie, it would be in church. Are there any sinners in the house? Thanks be to God. If you're a sinner today, you came to the right place because you are sinners, but you are saved by the grace and mercy of Almighty God. If you came into this place carrying a bunch of weight around, toting around a bunch of burden that's breaking your back, the worry, the strife, the stress, the strain, you've come to the right place because I don't believe it's God's will for your body to be broken down and your mind to be broken down and your soul to be tormented and tattered for you to get all cramped up in your stomach carrying around the weights of this world. Thanks be to God, the author and the finisher of my faith that he is not just beginning your story, but he promises he will end that story with blessing, provision, power, anointing, and promise. And when God gives you a word, he doesn't have a choice but to fulfill it. Because when he speaks something, it's creative. When he spoke into Genesis, when he created the heavens and the earth, the stars just just came to be. Do you realize the same God that created this entire world with the utterance of a word has given you a word, has given you prophetic word, has given you a promise for your life. Think about that for a moment. The same creator of all is also the savior of all. Thank you, God, that you didn't just throw me away from what my sin would deserve. But thank you that you kept me and you loved me no matter, even in spite of me. How many can testify that sin will take you further than you want to go? It'll keep you longer than you want to stay there. And it'll cost you way more than you could ever pay. But thank you, God, that I don't have to pay the price because you already took care of it. You've already signed off my debt. You've already bled out so that I didn't have to bleed out. Our regrets are no match for the remission of God in baptism. The enemy will try to convince you that you're never good enough for God. Some of you this week, the enemy might have tried to distract you and tell you what's the point of going to church this Sunday. You're never going to get it right. Anybody besides me had the enemy in your ear say, why do you even try? Why do you even try to get it right? Why are you working so hard in this kingdom that's not your kingdom? Anybody know what I'm talking about? But can we just look back at that enemy and say, get thee behind me, Satan. I'm not listening to the voice of the enemy. I'm listening to the voice of my Savior. I'm listening to the one who's never broken his word. I'm listening to the one who's never left me forsaken. I'm listening to the one who's called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I want to hear the voice of God today because he loves me in spite of me. God will never, ever lose you. And God will never forsake you. But has anybody in the house ever lost God? Bible tells us that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. I wish I could just pencil in. Except me. Except life. Because nothing in this world or in my life can separate me and you from His love. But how often do we allow things to separate him from our love? Are you with me? 
How often does the enemy get in and try to confuse? Church, he's not going to hit you head on. He knows he can't win that fight. So he tries to confuse your spirit. And if he's ever tried to confuse our culture, man, he has tried and he has won some rounds these last two years. Because I am so sick and tired of the confusion and all the chaos that's around us right now. I've said this many times and I don't mean to diminish a corona and I don't mean to diminish those of us that have gone. I almost lost my father to COVID. My wife was in ICU for what, three days last year. Man, it's been real. Can I get a witness in the house? It's been a trying season. But you know what? The worst pandemic, the worst thing that's happened in the last two years to our country, the worst plague, if you will, is not COVID-19. It's a spirit of confusion. That we have allowed to penetrate our minds, our hearts, our homes, our country, our politics. It's divided us. It's caused roots of racism to raise their ugly head on all sides of the aisle. It's let, it's just let political nonsense get out of control. God forbid we let it in the church. We cannot let the spirit of confusion that is in this world confuse the mission of the church. We've got to hear the voice of God because the church has got a big work to do. And there is a world out there that's confused and hurting and lost. And they are dying. Trying to find what can feed their soul and quench their thirst. And it is never going to be a political party. And it's never going to be a career. And it's never going to be a president. And it's never going to be something outside of the church. Because the word of God tells us the church is what God is coming back for. But in order for the church... To be and fulfill the mission of the church, you and I have to realize that God wants to do something individual in your life. He wants to save you. He wants to sanctify you. He wants to heal you. But you've got to let him. Have you ever lost God? Because life can get distracting. If you ever look at the life of Job and it describes he was dealing with problems and before he could, he could put out this fire, it says his servant came to tell him another problem arose. We had a season like that just a minute ago. Maybe you guys can re- relate a little bit. It was like as soon as I get the furnace fixed, there was an issue with the car. And as soon as I get the car fixed, we got to deal with this medical bill. Anybody had some of that lately? And you know what I think? I think the enemy knows if he has any chance of victory over the church, it's not going to be hitting the, the, hitting, hitting the church head on. Because we in the apostolic church are really good at recognizing obvious enemies. We are not so good at recognizing the spirit of confusion and the spirit of division and the spirit of turmoil. And the doubt that the enemy can come in and infect your faith. So when you come into the house of God and the presence and power of the Holy Ghost is in this place. The enemy's whispering in your ear. How many times have you prayed that prayer and it didn't work? How many times have you gone up to that altar and it didn't change anything? And if the enemy is allowed a voice in your life, it will drown out the voice of your Lord and Savior who is compelling you. 
to come into the promises of God. And Job's life seems to be missing in action. And Job 23 and 3 said the bad news just kept on coming. And then Job finally yelled out, oh, that I might know where I could find him, oh God. And if we're honest today, we can all say we have experienced that to various degrees where stuff is happening and we have no idea why. Things are coming from places and we didn't even know those places existed in our life. One day you go to bed with peace that passeth all understanding and the next moment you wake up and all hell is broken loose. One moment you come into an apostolic church and you feel the presence and the anointing of God. Are you thankful that you're part of a church that has apostolic anointing flowing through these aisles? But you think the enemy's going to be pleased with that? You think he's okay with what's going on right now? That we are in one mind and one accord and faith is building in this room right now. Expectation for the miraculous is building in this room right now. No, the enemy is standing right outside the doors of this sanctuary devising a plan to creep into your life and convince you that Christ is not all he said he was. But I stand here today and say, get thee behind me, Satan. I don't want to hear your lying voice anymore. I don't want to hear anymore your lying tongue. I don't want to hear the confusion in my spirit. Get me behind me, Satan. One moment, you feel the presence and power of God. The next moment, be honest. You couldn't find God with the CIA, the NSA, the FBI, the Parent-Teacher Association, or even in the midst of a great, good, old-fashioned worship service. And you look down the aisle. Anybody ever had an envious moment? Where you're sitting there and you're praying, you're trying to break through, and you just can't, you can't get there. And the voices of confusion, the voices of doubt, the fear plagues your mind. And you look down the aisle from you, and the dear sister, like seven feet away, is getting the greatest new and fresh anointing she has ever gotten in her life. And you in that moment, like Job, say, oh God, where are you? Where are you, God? Job 23 and 8 says, behold, I go forward, but he's not there. Backward, but I can't perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right that I cannot see him. And then verse 10, I love this. Job says, but I, I know his word. And I know his character. And I know his nature. And I know he could never lie. I know he is God and God alone. And he said he'd never leave me. And he'd never forsake me. So in verse 10, it says, but I know that he knows the way that I take and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. you got to know that God knows the way that you take. God knows exactly where you are. God knows the pain you've been carrying around. God knows the regret that you have let fester in your heart. And the residue that's upon your life. God knows right where your family is hurting. God goes right where your bank account is suffering. God knows right where your career is uncertain. God knows right that you're coming close to retirement years and you don't know exactly how God's going to work out. But you need to have faith today that say, God, I know that you know the way that I take. Somebody lift your hands right now and just let God, let God speak to you. Jesus. Jesus. We need you to be the finisher of our faith today. 
Jesus. God, you know the way that I take. But if we're honest here today, especially in 2020, 2021, now coming into 2022, God, you know the way that I take. But where are you, God, in my situation? Where are you, God, in this moment, this time of need? Where are you, God, with the pain in my body right now? There are times when I have trouble finding God, touching God, hearing His voice. But we always have two loyal agents, two guardians that are our constant companions. Two guardians of the grace of God that never leave us and never forsake us. I had two guardians, those two ambassadors of grace that left my hotel and went with me and my family in our car, the 20 minute ride to get to this church. Do you know, brother, that you had two guardians of the grace of God that followed you throughout this week, throughout this year, throughout this season of life, and they're standing there with you right now? Do you, sister, know that you might feel alone? Caring for your family. Caring for all the stressors of life. And you felt like nobody knows. Nobody understands. Perhaps nobody even cares. But I'm thankful today to preach to you that your word of God and my word of God, the word that he put into our hands, tells us that these very powerful beings are always with us. They never leave us. Because my Bible and your Bible says, surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. I don't care how bad it's getting, brother. Goodness and mercy are right behind you today. Sister, I don't care. How rough the season's been on you. Goodness and a hand of mercy are pushing you forward. Pushing the weak shoulders back up so that they can rise again in the midst of failure. The Bible today tells us that if God is for me, who can be against me? Our Bible doesn't say that the weapons of the enemy won't come. It says no weapon formed against me can prosper. If we remember who we are and who our God is and that he's never left us and never forsaken us and he's always got our back, do you realize no weapon formed against you could ever prosper in your life unless you let it? Whose voice are you listening to today? Are you listening to the world? Are we listening to the confusion? Are we listening to the lies? Are we listening to the chaos? Or can we turn the mute button on all the sources of noise in this world and hear the voice of God today saying, don't you worry about what's behind you. I've got that covered. Goodness and mercy are with you today. Goodness supplies your need and mercy emaciates your sin. I'm so thankful for the goodness of God that manifests in my life. God can't help but be good, Pastor. It's His nature. He didn't have a choice to be good. He doesn't select every day to be good in your life. If He's present in your life, which we all know He is, right? He can't live you and He can't forsake you. That means when He is with you, goodness is with you. Oh, I love the song that he's a good, good father. That even when we have turmoil in family, even if you had a, an earthly father, 
Even if you had turmoil in a life situation, know that there's a good, good father that can bring goodness back into your life. And he will never leave you and never forsake you. I'm thankful for the goodness of God in our lives. The goodness of God, his very character and nature is described in the Old Testament, is the very foundation for the good news of God, which in the New Testament is revealed to us as the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the death, the burial, the resurrection, as I mentioned earlier. That means that the good character of God is the very foundation for the gospel of God being fulfilled in your life. He doesn't just want to be known as a good God. He wants his people to be known for his good works. He has a good, good father who is doing a good, good work in your life. If you're thankful for the Lord, say thank you, Jesus. And had it not been for the mercy of God. Oh, God. If I could put it simply, the mercy of God is when I don't get what I really deserve. It's when you don't get what you've really, really earned. I'm thankful today. Can I get a friend in the house that would say, I am so thankful for the mercy of God that I could not earn. I do not deserve, but God granted it to me no matter what because he loves me and he loves you. Justice despair. Just demanded death and despair. But like the old song says, mercy said no. Mercy said no, I'll bring you out of that childhood. Mercy said, no, I'm going to rescue you from that car accident. Mercy said, no, I'm going to close that door that seemed like opportunity, but was actually just a distraction for your soul. Mercy said, no, I'm going to pluck you out of that relationship. Oh, God, thank you for your mercy that was working on our behalf even when we didn't know it was at work. Can we give God praise right now for his mercy that endures to all generations? His mercy that is new this morning. The enemy... Wants to convince you that you're all alone in this fight. But I want us today to find some moxie in our spirit to look at the enemy, whatever that enemy is in your life, and say, No, that's not the voice I'm hearing today because God is speaking to me. God is pouring into my life. Matthew chapter 4. Some of you may know this story. Matthew chapter 4, the Bible tells us that Satan, the ultimate enemy, he takes Jesus, takes him out to a high place, to a plateau. Anybody know the story? And he stands him up because he knew that Jesus Christ was 100% man and 100% God. He said, I'm going to try to tempt the man. And a lot of people say, well, how's that work? Well, the only way that Jesus Christ could pay the debt for our sin in the flesh is that he actually bled and died and was persecuted in the flesh. Now, I studied a lot of math and business in college, but I don't understand how somebody can be 100% God and 100% man. But thank God it's not my mind trying to figure that out. That's God's mind. He took care of that. But how many know that God, Jesus Christ, was 100% man and 100% God? So it's the Satan that we fight and contend with so much. Takes 
Jesus out to that high place. And if you know the story, he says, he took him out to the plateau and he had him cast his eyes and look out over all the kingdoms of the world. And what did he say? He said, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world that you can see. Let me first and foremost say, I'm sick and tired of the enemy trying to make promises that he will never keep. I'm sick of the lies of the enemy telling you and I that if you'll just do this, I'll grant you that. If you'll just give me your worship, which is not just what we do here on Sundays, y'all. Your life, all your life is a form of worship. And he craves your worship more than anything else in this world. He craves your attention more than anything else in this world. He craves you tuning into his frequency and not God's frequency more than anything in this world. And I was so confused, brother, for so many years because I didn't understand why Jesus standing there next to him didn't just take care of him in that moment. He said, if you'll bow down, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. And instead of Jesus Christ... Just taking like Jedi power, like 12,000 like mega nuclear bombs and just shocking and evaporating the enemy right then and there. That would have been cool, by the way, right? Why didn't he do that and save us a bunch of trouble? Pastor, I believe it's because he was trying to teach the church a lesson. That why are we contending with enemies? Why are we fighting battles that he has already won? What did he say? He looked at the devil... And he said, get thee behind me, Satan. Why did he just relocate him? Because he's trying to tell you and I in the 21st century, why are you fighting battles? I've already won. I think he sent him back there because he remembered his word. That there was goodness and mercy that had already dealt with everything every enemy could ever throw at you or your family, your loved ones. He has already won the battle. Why are we fighting battles that God's already won? Get thee behind me, Satan. Why are you fighting battles that God's already won? Our text today, right after it tells us that goodness and mercy are standing right behind us, it says that there's a table before us right in the presence of our enemies. But the enemy knows he doesn't have to defeat you if he can just distract you. And keep you looking at all your mistakes. And keep you looking at all your past. And keep you dwelling in all your regrets. And keep you looking at the residue of the mistakes and sin in your life. He knows that he doesn't have to defeat you. All he has to do is take your eyes off of Jesus. So when you begin to walk forward toward the table, you'll hear the enemy try to turn you around and say, Yeah, but do you remember how bad you were? Do you remember how many times you've made that mistake? Do you remember, mom and dad, how you, you just, you weren't the best example in home? And, and he's trying to remember, oh, remember all the things that you've done and said you wouldn't do again and then did them again. Church, do you realize how unnatural it is for your eyes to look behind you? In the natural and in the spiritual, you are not made to see behind you. It literally causes me pain in my neck. 
for me to look back. So why do we spend so much of our lives looking behind us instead of in front of us? As the musicians come, please hear me right now. Because I believe this is a word of God for somebody. When I look behind you, you can tell me all every mistake you've made. You can tell me every, every sin. You look like a sweet lady. But are you a sinner? Thank be to God. I'm a sinner too. And I'm saved by God. But you can tell me every mistake you'd ever made. Here's the problem. In my flesh and in your flesh, I could see every mistake you've ever made. But that's not the way Jesus looks at you. Jesus looks at you and he looks, oh, there's something between you and your yesterday. And it's so much bigger than every mistake you've ever made. It's so much stronger than every bit of regret you've ever had. It's so much more capable than every time you've ever fallen short because His goodness and His mercy were placed in your life and have never left you, have never forsaken you. And no matter what is behind you, no matter how many mistakes you've ever made, no matter how much condemnation you might feel, when Jesus looks at you, He doesn't see mistakes He sees that I have dealt with that in the past. And my goodness and my mercy have already accomplished what you're asking him to accomplish. And he is calling us today as we stand to our feet to stop looking backwards and tear the rear view of mirror of life right off our windshield. Church, do you realize all that God has in front of you? If we would do an about-face in repentance with a made-up mind and understand there is a table of testimony right in front of us. But we can never receive all that God has for us as long as we're doing this. As long as we're worried. As long as we're fearful. Some of you walked into this place today with so much doubt and fear and anxiety the enemy has, he's won because he's, he's telling you that's now your identity. That's the way life's just going to be. But I've come to preach to you today, that is not the will of God for your life. I want you for the last time, everybody right now, I want you to look back. Just look back behind you at your past, at every mistake, at every regret. There's some moms and dads in here. You've got a lot of regrets. There's some young people in here. She just feels so condemned even when you come to church. You just feel like you're not good enough. I want you for the last time to look to your past. And now I want you to look to your future. The promises of God are right in front of you. But you have to make up in your mind to say to the enemy, Get thee behind me, Satan. I see the testimony before me. I see my family saved. I see my body healed. I see my spirit filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. But here's the thing. You can turn your eyes toward Jesus and you can recognize him as your healer. You can recognize him as your savior. But then you've got to let him heal you. Then you've got to let him save you. You can say, I'm sorry for my sins, but you've got to come down to an altar. You've got to make the choice to let him work in your life. You've got to find your way to the table. And say, God, I repent. 
of all my sins. God, remove that burden from my life. And if you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus, what are you waiting for? One of the greatest days of my life was the day that I repented of my sins. And then I was washed in the lovely name of Jesus. And I was prepared for the Holy Ghost to fill me that my cup could then run over. If you've got emptiness in your life, come before the table. If you've got pain in your body, I'm calling you right now. Come up here around the table of testimony. If you need healing in your marriage, in your family, why don't you grab your loved one's hand and say, hey baby, would you come pray with me? We need to let God do a work. Turn your back on the enemy. Turn your back on the residue. Turn your back on the regret. And why don't you rebuke the fear? Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. If you want an abundant life, you've got to come get it. I promise you we won't embarrass you today, but you've got to take a step of faith right now. Right now. You've got to let God be God of your life. You've got to let God heal your body. You've got to say, God, I repent of my sin. God, I turn it over to you. Why don't you bring your worries to the Lord? The Bible says, cast your cares upon Him. Somebody right now, why don't you just grab a friend's hand? Say, will you come up here and pray with me? I need God to speak and work into my life. So you need guidance in your heart. And when you come down here, I want you to lift up both hands. And I want you to let the vessel be available to the miracle worker. I want you to let the vessel be open right now. Your soul, open your mouth, lift your hands, and be available to the Lord right now. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. Somebody taste and see that the Lord, He is good. He goes before me. Jesus, Jesus. Defender be 